My Lord and my God, I firmly believe that you are here, that you see me and that you hear me. I adore you with profound reverence. I ask your pardon for my sins, for the grace to make this time of prayer fruitful. My Immaculate Mother, St. Joseph, my Father and Lord, my Guardian Angel, intercede for me. In the Gospel of Luke, in the very end of Luke's Gospel, the resurrected Lord appears to those two disciples who are on their way to Emmaus from Jerusalem. And they're downcast because they think that Jesus' passion has been a great failure, that their leader and the promised Messiah is dead and has been really a disappointment. They had hoped that he was the Messiah, and now they've lost their hope. And Jesus walks with them and then upbraids them for their lack of vision. He said to them, O foolish men, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer, should suffer these things, and enter into his glory? This month, on September 14th, we celebrate in the church the feast of the exaltation of the cross, the triumph of the cross. And there we turn our mind and our heart to the good brought about by the passion, the eternal glory that Christ wins by means of the cross, the redemption for us that he wins on the cross. This great tool, the cross, a tool of pain and execution, which becomes now a means of salvation, a means of sanctification. That on the cross our Lord is suffering, but he turns suffering through love into a sublime triumph, a sublime and beautiful triumph of love over sin, of love over selfishness. And this is how our Lord describes it. Wasn't it necessary for me to suffer these things so as to enter into my glory? St. Josemaria writes in his Way of the Cross, Ud in gratiarum semper actioni maniamus, quoting St. Paul, that we may be always giving thanks. Dear God, St. Josemaria reflects, Dear God, thank you, thank you for everything, for what goes against me, for what I don't understand, for the things that make me suffer. The blows are necessary to hack away what is superfluous from the huge block of marble. That is how God sculpts the image of his Son in souls. Be grateful to God for those caresses. Lord Jesus Christ, you see your own suffering on the cross as necessary for you, as necessary for your mission, as necessary for your glorification, as a means to truly love your Father and truly love us. And the saints have 
applied that same logic to us as you do, Lord. You tell us to pick up our cross every day, to deny ourselves and pick up our cross every day in order to follow you. It's that same logic that suffering is necessary, that the cross is good if it's accepted with love because it leads to glory, it leads to redemption, for us co-redemption, that we help our Lord, our Lord's grace, the grace of the cross. We help it reach other souls through our own voluntary acceptance of suffering. It becomes our triumph. Lord, if that suffering was necessary for you, how much more so for me? who in my fallen human nature have so many things in my heart, in my life, my mind that need to be purified, that need to be worked on, that need to be sculpted, cut out, as St. Josemaria puts it. The summer before this past summer, I went on a hiking and camping trip with a group of middle school boys from a school where I work as a chaplain. And we did a very challenging hike. It's called Mount Katahdin in Maine. And Mount Katahdin is the most difficult hike on the East Coast in the United States. And it was it was um, very challenging. A lot of rock scrambles, a lot of bouldering, very steep. It took us a total of 14 hours to complete the hike, we left at about six, six o'clock in the morning on the trailhead and we didn't get back to, to our car there at the, at the trailhead until, um, 8 PM at night. It was already getting dark. It was, it was, uh, quite a challenge to hike up to the top. It's, it's, it's a pretty steep peak. And then there's this thing called the knife's edge, which is this ridge that goes from one peak across to several other peaks. It's called the knife's edge because it's pretty narrow and it falls down on either side thousands of feet and it's all boulders. It's all bouldering. It's not a smooth trail at all. And the knife's edge is only 1.1 miles, but it takes about three hours to uh, to cross. I mean, obviously, if you're a very good hiker, you can do it a lot faster, but we were with 7th and 8th grade boys and so some of them were afraid and hesitant as as they were traversing this this uh, part of the trail and i'll never forget we get to the end of the of the knife's edge and there's this thing called the chimney and the chimney is called the chimney because if you looked at it it looks like a chimney it goes straight down on one side and then there's this little flat area at the bottom and then it goes straight back up and we were going down the first side of the chimney and Looking across, I was like, where is the trail? It's, it just looks like a sheer cliff wall straight up on the other side of, the, of this thing called the chimney. And then if you look a little closer, you can see these blue trail markers. And they look like they were just painted into the side of this vertical wall. And I was dismayed. I was like, oh, we've been hiking for so long. Now we have to climb straight up that, that wall to finish this uh, knife's edge before descending another couple hours to finish the uh, to finish the whole hike, and so we get down we get down the uh, first side of the chimney, which is a descent, and this boy comes up to me and says, uh, "Father, look over there. There's a trail that heads in that direction there to the left, and that probably hooks up with the trail that will come down 
um, from this from this other peak. Um, so instead of climbing up this what looks like the sheer face, why don't we just go to the right here, and that'll bend around left, and it has to it has to hit the trail that we'd be on anyway, and we could save ourselves this this climb. And so at that point, we had been hiking for, I don't know, 10 hours, something like this. And to me, it seemed like a great idea. And so I said, that sounds like a great idea. So I went and talked to the, the leader of the pack, a very good hiker, a very good outdoorsman, a teacher at our school. And I said to him, hey, listen, this kid pointed out there's a path over here that cuts off to the right and then bends left and it's got to hit the trail that would be coming down anyway. Maybe we should just take that and skip this part because, you know, these poor kids, they've been hiking for so long and this is a very steep climb here and maybe it's a little dangerous too. And so, you know, for the sake of the kids, of course, for the sake of the kids, <laughs> maybe we should take this little shortcut. And this fellow is very, um, very uh, conscientious and uh, very idealistic and he loves hiking and so he said, no, Father, don't worry. I've done this before. There's lots of footholds. There's lots of handholds. Don't worry. The boys can make it, and it'll be good for us to do the whole hike and get up this peak and then come down the other side. I said, okay, fine. I didn't push the point. So they're all going up, and I'm, the, I'm taking up the slack in the line here. I'm like the caboose, the last, the last one in the group. As you could imagine, because I'm the strongest hiker, not because I was dying of tiredness and dehydration and being out of shape, but because I was a really strong hiker, I wanted to make sure that I was last to help anyone who needed it. In any event, so these boys are going up the side of this, uh, the side of this cliff. And I could see the boy who mentioned to me this shortcut as a way of, um, of lessening the pain of the experience. And he's about halfway up, he's climbing this cliff and he yells out, this is so unnecessary. <laughs> and I started cracking up. I thought that was a perfect line for for the situation. I got up to the top and we had a we had a good laugh about it. In the end the, the guide was right. It wasn't as hard as it looked and all the boys made the hike and it was worth it was worth climbing that peak. But that phrase, this is so unnecessary, it struck me as very funny in the moment. But also very deep, right? That this is how we often think about our pain and suffering. Right? We don't get it. We don't understand it. We think it's unnecessary. And the fact of the matter is that as Christians, our sufferings are not unnecessary. Right? They're given to us by God for a reason. And just as Jesus says, wasn't it necessary that I suffer? So too we have to be convinced that God and his wisdom has some plan for suffering, has some meaning behind our suffering. And so when we say to our crosses, this is unnecessary, we have to listen for God's voice and he'll tell us, no, it's not. The true crosses are not unnecessary. The cross of growing in charity, the cross of accepting some trial that God lets us undergo, the cross of some limitation in our character or situation, the cross of some setback, the cross of some loss of a loved one or 
loss of some treasured possession or position. They're not unnecessary. Their purification and their opportunities to triumph with Christ in the cross. St. Josemaria, again, in the beautiful way of the cross that he composed, writes this, Jesus prays in the garden, Pater mi, Abba, Pater. God is my Father, even though he may send me suffering. He loves me tenderly, even while wounding me. Jesus suffers to fulfill the will of the Father. And I, who also wish to fulfill the most holy will of God, following in the footsteps of the Master, can I complain if I too meet suffering as my traveling companion? It will be a sure sign of my sonship because God is treating me as he treated his own divine son. Then I, just as he did, will be able to groan and weep in my Gethsemane. But as I lie prostrate on the ground, acknowledging my nothingness, there will rise up to the Lord a cry from the depths of my soul, Pater mi, Abba, Pater, Fiat. So the cross is an opportunity. It's an opportunity, Lord Jesus, to identify ourselves with you in your passion, in your cross, and therefore to experience in a deeper way, in a more real way, the love of God the Father, the presence of God the Father. God the Father trusts us to play the role of his Son in the Passion. He trusts us with our crosses. And we, Lord, we want to respond. We want to, we, we truly want to play your role in our own Passion. And what is that role? It's the role of voluntary acceptance, embracing the cross. The triumph of the cross is the triumph of accepting pain and suffering out of love, turning it into love and grace and co-redemption for others. This is how sin and evil are defeated by Christ and by his saints. This is how heaven is won. To accept pain and suffering out of love, out of love for God and love for others. This is what undoes the selfishness of Satan and the selfishness of, of all sin and of original sin especially. Satan says, non-servium, I will not serve God. He clings to himself instead of God. He infects Adam and Eve and all of us with that mistrust of God. Trusting in ourselves, clinging to ourselves, clinging to our own power and excellence and control of our lives. And Jesus on the cross precisely lets go of himself in trust of the Father, lets go of himself out of love for us, lets himself be torn up and killed and doesn't stop loving while receiving all of that pain and all of that hatred and all of that rejection. And so where Satan clings to himself and says, I won't serve God, I will only serve myself, I will be in control. Jesus lets himself go on the cross and invites us to do the same. And this is salvation, to let ourselves go out of love for God, to let ourselves go in trust of God and an act of love for others, an act of love which shows itself necessarily, inevitably, in accepting some suffering, in accepting 
some purification, and accepting some trial. Last year, I saw a post on Facebook written by a, a lady that I went to college with many years ago now. And she posted very beautifully about her experience having cancer and about how her suffering had helped her spiritually and how she was confronting it with prayer. And then a little while after that, she wrote another post and she was asking for prayers, specifically prayers that she'd be able to get some sleep because of the nature of her cancer, which by the way is terminal. You can pray for her now. I won't mention her name to protect her privacy, but she was mentioning in this other post, uh, you know, asking for prayers for um, her ability to get some sleep because she was suffering from insomnia because of her because of her cancer. And so I wrote to her um, a direct message there on Facebook, and I recommended to her a podcast um, by a friend of mine who is a psychiatrist and. And he has some advice on how to sleep, how to overcome insomnia. So I said, hey, I saw your post about praying for your for your insomnia, and maybe this podcast can help you. And then I said to her, by the way, I, I really was moved by your um, reflections on suffering and prayer. And I asked her, can I use it in, uh, in my preaching? Is there, any way, is there any way I can quote it? Would you be okay with that? And this was her response to me. Thank you, she wrote. Please feel free to use anything. That's why I'm using this message, because I take it as included (laughs) in her permission to use anything. I know it's not me, it's God. No matter what this cancer brings to me or takes, I'm so thankful for it. It's taught me how to pray. It's taught me that prayer is outside of time like God. So I pray backwards, forwards, for the present. I understand the passion so much more. In the movie, when the actor, slash Christ, drops the cross and then scrambles to get to it, it's because he loves us so much. He can't wait for the suffering for us. That's how I feel. I know it's not like Christ, but I understand how important the suffering is. I want more. I sit in it and am thankful. The suffering is the only part that's getting me through all of this, if that makes sense. Anyway, I'm so thankful for the cancer. It is my greatest gift. And I wrote back to her, thank you. I hope you get some rest soon. It is like Christ. You got that part wrong. He lives his passion again in us. Then I asked her to pray for me. And this is something that we can only understand ultimately by doing. Only when we're visited with a great pain and a great suffering and we use it to pray to really pray, to really decide that our only recourse is God, to really depend on God and not ourselves. And we, when we use it to love, like Christ, as she mentioned here, scrambling 
to pick up the cross after he dropped it because he wants to love us in this way. Only by doing something like this with our suffering, with our crosses, will we get it. If we view this coldly, dispassionately, theoretically, it'll never make sense. To meet God on the cross, to meet God with our cross, is something that we'll only learn, Lord, by doing it. That it's not unnecessary, it's necessary. That it's not a curse, but a gift, an opportunity, a promise. Lord, help me to, like you, embrace my cross out of love for others, out of love and trust for God the Father. Help me to play, Lord, the role that you played in your passion. The role of voluntary acceptance. The triumph of the cross is the triumph of accepting pain and suffering out of love. Turning it into redemption, in our case, co-redemption with you, Lord. A day after the 14th, we celebrate on September 15th, the Memorial of Our Lady of Sorrows. So just after celebrating our Lord's triumph on the cross, the great good and glory that he brings about by embracing the cross, we consider that Mary was there and that she participated. Simeon prophesies that her own heart, a sword, would pierce. And so we can imagine that that Our Lady knew that that sword that would pierce her heart had to be a sword that hurt our Lord. That the only thing that could really break her heart, that could make her suffer, would be seeing her son suffer, would be suffering that was brought upon him. And so I think many times in Our Lady's life, she must have wrestled with God's will. She must have looked forward to that passion, that cross. And like our Lord in the agony said, if it's possible, let this pass from me. Don't let my son suffer like this. I won't be able to stand it. I won't be able to take it. And yet also, like her son, she would end up saying, but fiat, be it done unto me according to your word. Not my will, yours be done. And Our Lady at the foot of the cross is a marvelous example, of course, of of fortitude, of endurance, of willingness to undergo suffering. But it's fortitude and it's endurance and it's patience in the service of love. She's not there flexing her fortitude muscles saying, look how much I can suffer. Look how strong I am. She's strong in the service of love. She's there and she stays there simply because she can't leave him. How can I leave him now? My son, my God, my all. I have to stay here. I have to be here. By the cross, her station keeping, as that hymn, Stabat Mater in the church, sings about Our Lady. And this has to be for, for many people. It happens to many people. 
it has to be one of the greatest sufferings to to experience the death of one's child. The natural order of things, a parent is supposed to die before their children, but many times out of violence or tragedy or accidents, children predecease their parents and their and the parents have to go through that great grief of having lost their child. Oh, people in this situation should reach out to Mary. They should see in Mary someone who understands their sorrow, understands their pain. Because she had that same sorrow and she had that same pain. And she must have had that same instinct to reject it, to rebel against it. Of course, she didn't sin in doing this, but it must have been part of her nature to say, no, God, anything but that, anything but this, before eventually submitting to his will, right, without offending him, because Our Lady is sinless, just like our Lord, without sinning, said in the garden, if it's possible, let this pass from me, but then accepts the will of God. And so those of us who have had the experience of losing a child, an experience which I will never have as a priest, should look to Our Lady, should cling to Our Lady. And by extension, all of us will suffer some loss, some unexpected grief of a loved one who dies sooner than we thought. And there too, Our Lady is a comfort and a solace and a model for us of how to live trust in that situation, of how to stand firm and hopeful in that situation, knowing as she did that God brings good out of evil, that out of the evil of her son's death, the terrible tragedy of a life cut short, God was going to bring about a great good, a good that would make up for all the suffering that would make right all the wrongness of that death. And God does this with all evil. There's no evil that God allows without bringing about some good from it eventually. And even though we can't see that good or we don't understand when it's going to happen or how it can ever justify the evil or the suffering that we've seen or experienced or or seen happen in others, people that we love. Nevertheless, our faith tells us that, no, God is infinite and God is good and God is merciful. And so in the end, all suffering will be accounted for. All evil will be responded to and made up for. And this is the great hope that's encapsulated in our lady's experience, that seeing her son die on the cross She has hope in the resurrection. She has hope that this will turn into his glory. She understands intuitively Jesus' statement to those disciples at Emmaus. Wasn't it necessary for me to suffer and enter into my glory? It seemed useless. It seemed pointless. It seemed so unnecessary, as that boy said on that hike. But it wasn't. Because I loved, because I trusted because I accepted it, it's turned into glory, into happiness, into good for others. 
And we, Lord, need to do the same thing, to see our crosses and see our pain as a way of meeting you, trusting you, loving you and others. Our Lady, Mary at the foot of the cross, Mother of Sorrows, pray for us. I thank you, my God, for the good resolutions, affections, and inspirations which you have communicated to me in this meditation. I ask your help and put them into effect, my Immaculate Mother, St. Joseph, my Father and Lord, my Guardian Angel, intercede for me.